0: Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental and social justice stories from Australia and around the world. This show was produced on unceded Wandi-Wandandian land in the Yuin Nation in the Yerriyong State Forest, New South Wales, and Briakalong land in the Gunai Kurno Nation, Gippsland, Victoria, in conjunction with 3CR, Nam Melbourne on Wurundjeri Country, in the Kulin Nation, with the show broadcast across the continent on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Phil Evans, and I'm glad to have you with me for the show. And today we're asking the question, can offshore wind and whales coexist?
1: Offshore renewable energy facilities as potential threats because of the modification of habitat.
2: Offshore wind farms are going to have a net positive impact on whales.
0: The energy transition is upon us, and the move from destructive, extractive fossil fuels towards the renewable energy future is here. So get with it! But rising within the environment movement is a growing concern that the rapid transition to renewable energy is coming at an ecological cost. The Australian government has set a target of net zero emissions by 2050 to reduce emissions by 43% and reach 82% of electricity generation from renewable sources by 2030. And offshore wind has been slated as playing a significant part in that. In December 2021, the then Morrison Liberal National Coalition government passed the Offshore Electricity Infrastructure Act to establish a regulatory framework for a future offshore electricity sector. One year later, the new Albanese Labour government declared Australia's first offshore wind zone off the coast of Gunai land, Gippsland, Victoria, where a community was struggling to come to grips with the closure of the brown coal industry so vital to the region. Fast forward to today, and another zone off the coast of Mullabimba, Newcastle, New South Wales has been declared. Public consultation for another zone off Gundachamara land between Warrnambool and Portland has just closed. And zones off the coast of Noongar Budja, Perth, Western Australia, and Illawarra, New South Wales on Darul land are being considered. In short, this is a growing industry. But at what cost? Today on the show, we want to zoom in and ask the question, can offshore wind and whales coexist? We'll take a look at some of the current threats to whales, the offshore wind industry itself, and the impact they may or may not have.
1: So I'm Dr. Pete Gill. I'm the CEO of the Blue Whale Study. We're a small, independent, not-for-profit research organisation in southwest Victoria.
0: Dr. Pete is a blue whale expert, and he's one of but a handful of people in Australia who look at the interactions between cetaceans, a fancy word for whales, and offshore industrial activities, such as offshore wind. I asked Dr. Pete to start by giving me a crash course on the history of the interaction between whales and humans on this continent.
1: Uh, Yeah, well, if you go back a long way, we know that in this part of the world, down near Portland in Victoria, the Gunditjmara people have had a long association with whale strandings in this part of the world and you know would feast on stranded whales and presumably many other indigenous groups around the country had similar relationship to to whales they were either you know admired when they're offshore or eaten if they ended up on the beach
2: Okay, yeah, so I'm Gregory Andrews and I'm phoning in from
0: Ngunnawal country in Canberra. That's Gregory Andrews, and he has a very impressive resume. He's an adjunct associate professor with the University of Canberra's Institute for Applied Ecology and director of LiarBear Dreaming. He's represented Australia as an ambassador in West Africa and in the United Nations and was appointed Australia's first threatened species commissioner and led the development and implementation of Australia's first threatened species strategy.
2: I'm also a Dharawal man, so I'm an Australian, of shared first Australian and European and Middle Eastern ancestry and um, my Aboriginal ancestors come from Dharawal country and my aunt and uncle, one aunt and uncle have told me stories about my family who are freshwater people sort of closer to the Blue Mountains who would get sent smoke signals actually by people down at Jarvis Bay and um, on, around Wollongong if a whale washed up on the beach. Because people would share share the food and share that resource with with my ancestors as well.
1: From a European perspective, you know, uh, Portland was founded as a whaling centre in about eighteen thirty. I think it was the first European settlement in Victoria. So whaling has been part of human interactions with whales from the very earliest days of settlement in Australia. You know, where they were focusing on the southern right whale during the nineteenth century and. Southern right whales were pretty well wiped out by 1850 and uh, didn't really start making a comeback around here until 1980 or thereabouts. So, yeah, whaling happened in the 20th century as well, you know, using industrial methods, focusing on humpback and sperm whales around the Australian coastline. And the last Australian whaling station closed at Albany and WA in 1978 and it was about that time that a lot of people started getting interested in whales as living animals and i got involved in whale research in 1983 which is early days really i was studying humpbacks on the east coast when there were only about 700 humpbacks on the east coast and now there's approaching 40,000. so we've had a uh, you know things have changed a lot over the years
0: And of course, it's impossible to have a conversation about environmental protection or threatened species these days without mentioning climate. And both Dr. Pete and Gregory Andrews identified climate change as the leading threat to whales in Australia. Uh, I don't want to draw a dark cloud over
1: it, but... The way climate change is going and the news from the Antarctic in the last few years is not good. You know, we're losing a lot of sea ice down there, which is habitat for Antarctic krill, which is the prey for this population.
2: CO2 emissions are warming the oceans and also making them much more acidic. And this is overwhelmingly the largest threat to Australia's whales and all whales. And ocean acidification, for example, is a massive threat to all ocean food chains, because it dissolves all of the things in the ocean that have a exoskeletal shell, like krill, uh, which are
1: the main diet for, for many whales. Well, both Australian populations of humpbacks, east and west coast, prey on Antarctic krill, and there's been a sort of a quite a steep decline in krill biomass over the last fifty years which is coincident with the loss of sea ice, which can probably be attributed to the warming global climate. Great that we got a lot of humpbacks, but some of us are concerned that the humpbacks will hit the wall one of these days and the existing population may have to shrink as their food resource shrinks. So, yeah, that, that, that is the reality of what we're looking at.
0: Another leading threat for Wales in Australia is shipping movements and ship strikes. But similarly,
2: by decarbonising the economy, we can reduce ship strikes. There are, I think there are 4,700 ship movements in and out of the port of Newcastle every year, and nearly all of those are coal export ships. And that's a huge risk to Australia's whales. Uh, And so by decarbonising and and ceasing the use of coal and using renewable energy, we, we not only protect the climate and address climate change, which is the biggest threat, but we can also address some of these other threats like ship strikes. Wind is the cheapest form of new electricity generation in Australia and we're going to need a lot more electricity to decarbonise everything because every car, every stove, every hot water system has to be converted to electricity and then run on renewable energy. And so wind farms will be a really important part of the solution for the really urgent decarbonisation of our economy and our way of life. I actually think Offshore wind farms are going to have a net positive impact on whales and that's because the biggest threat to whales in Australia and in the world is the biggest threat to all species on the planet, which is climate change. Uh, And so offshore wind farms, they are a relatively new phenomena in Australia.
0: According to the 2023 Global Offshore Wind Report, 2022 was the second best year ever for the global offshore wind industry. A total of 64.3 gigawatts of global offshore wind capacity across three continents and 19 countries was in operation by the end of 2022. This amounted to approximately 7% of global wind power installation. Over the next decade, over 380 gigawatts of offshore wind capacity is expected to be added, with nearly half of that growth expected to come in the Asia-Pacific region. The Star of the South project is likely to be Australia's first offshore wind farm. To be located off Gunai-Kunai land, Gippsland, Victoria, it has the potential to supply up to 20% of Victoria's electricity needs, currently largely supplied by the brown coal industry. And despite Australia about to take the plunge and join the offshore wind industry club, there's a lot we don't know about what the impacts of this will be. Because it's quite
2: new, there is no really comprehensive evidence that I'm aware of globally on the impacts of offshore wind on whales. Uh, But what we do know is at a higher level what affects whales and what reduces their reproduction rates and causes fatalities of whales. And actually wind farms don't come up on,
1: on that list. Well, there's a document called
0: the Conservation Management Plan for the Blue Whale The Blue Whale is listed as endangered under the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act, the EPBC. The document Dr. Pete refers to is the recovery plan that is created for all species listed under the legislation. However, the document was written in 2015 when the offshore wind industry was relatively new to the entire world. So it lives largely in the hypothetical. It does refer
1: to offshore renewable energy facilities as potential threats because of the modification of habitat by installing these things in the ocean, the noise and disturbance associated with installing them and then maintaining them. So yeah, marine renewables uh, were early, they were earmarked by the Commonwealth as potential threats and the problem with our Australian context is that we just don't know what the effects will be and at the moment we've got uh, several of these renewable energy zones that have been declared by Chris Bowen, the Federal Energy Minister, and one of them is right here off our coast and it's smack bang in the middle of the Blue Whale feeding area as we've defined it over the years. The problem is that we just don't know. It's an experiment. You could, they could put them in and the whales might be a bit toey while all the construction was going on, but then we could find that, you know, krill aggregates around the pylons and the whales come in and everybody's happy. Or we could find that after five years, they were hardly seeing any blue whales in that area anymore, by which time it's way too late for doing things about it.
0: Wind, Whales, Climate Change. We're asking the question, can whales and the offshore wind industry coexist? You're listening to Earth Matters. And we've been hearing from cetacean scientist, Dr. Pete Gill, and former threatened species commissioner, Gregory Andrews. I'm your host, Phil Evans. If you're listening to the show via Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcasting platform, then why not rate and review us? Help us spread the word. Why? Because the earth matters. So far on the show, we've heard about a bit of the history of whales and human interactions on this continent, heard about some of the threats, including climate change and ship strikes, particularly those from fossil fuel movements around off the coast of Moolanimba or Newcastle. And we've heard that there just isn't a lot of research out there to see what the impact of offshore wind and whales will be. And whilst Gregory Andrews is quite optimistic about the future of offshore wind, Dr. Pete has some reservations. However, neither experts would disagree when it came down to the choice between offshore wind, our growth industry and renewables, versus our growth in fossil fuels, offshore gas. I would choose offshore wind a thousand
2: times over any gas. We need urgently to stop all gas and coal.
1: Offshore gas is associated with seismic surveys. That's how they find the gas resources. And, you know, as I mentioned, I've been working in this area for 25 years and for almost that entire period there have been gas companies out there, not in every season but in the majority of seasons, doing and redoing seismic surveys in, uh, in lots of areas because, you know, there are rich gas resources out here and and there are proposals for seismic surveys coming up this summer it's something that doesn't go away and i i would have to say that if i had to choose i would come down on the side of wind except we again with wind we don't know what the effects of having these permanently installed structures you know and we're talking maybe hundreds of these things in in a big wind development, they might have several hundred of these towers and they're all emitting low frequency noise and we don't know what, what the effect of that is on krill or whales. So, yeah, look, it's um, any of these technologies raises issues, but I would have to say that of the two, I would rather go with wind because we need
0: renewables and uh, we need them fast. As flawed as they may be and in dire need of reform, Australia has environmental regulations and legislation that help us make decisions about which projects should go ahead or not. And
2: my understanding of the EPBC Act is that it will actually take into account with the best science and the analysis that's available, impacts on whales from the construction and operation of the physical structures, Look, the EPBC Act, I think, is imperfect, but it's 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 it will actually force all developments to analyse and assess the impacts, and then first avoid the impacts, then mitigate, and then finally offset any impacts that can't be avoided or mitigated. Uh, but I think the key point here is actually that. Offshore wind farms, like any development, will have an impact, but but we need to look at the net impact. We can minimise the direct impacts, uh, but they're, they're stationary. They're not actually ships that are moving. Uh, And they're not like seismic blasting that's blasting noise um, under the water that really affects whales' um, communication and, and actually their mental health. So I think the EPBC Act has an important role to play and I have faith that it will assess those direct impacts that people
0: are concerned about. Recently, opposition leader Peter Dutton declared the Hunter Offshore Wind Project as an environmental travesty. This is despite him saying that we're all in favour of renewable energy. He's taken up local community concerns about the project. But not everyone is convinced that this concern is genuine.
2: One of the really important things to say here is that climate change has come to a stage that it's more about political and social science now than it is about the physical science. You know, even even Scott Morrison is no longer publicly a climate denialist. So the physics of human-induced climate change is long settled and all of the technologies are also there to get us to... The Paris Agreement targets. So the people who have an interest in maintaining and protecting the status quo and the fossil fuel industry, um, they've shifted from denialism to other tactics. And I've seen a number of campaigns against wind farms, and nearly all of them, as far as I'm concerned, have at least a degree of mischievousness about them, but also they're often driven by the not in my backyard effect not just for um, offshore wind farms, but wind farms more broadly. I remember when I was the threatened species commissioner, all of a sudden locals in a particular area would start worrying about a random threatened plant that they'd never cared about before and had no concerns about when they wanted to do weed spraying or expand grazing activities or if they wanted to conduct land-clearing activities. But all of a sudden, this a random threatened plant was a reason to call for cessation of a wind farm development. And, and so shifting to the central coast, the Hunter offshore wind project, what was really interesting there is at Nora Head, which was on the southern end of that proposal, once the wind farm was moved 50 kilometres north, the complaints at Nora Head about the importance of saving the whales all stopped. New complaints emerged further north from people to the north whose views were affected. So at the central coast, for example, opposition to that wind farm was really a not-in-my-backyard effect, which is quite ironic given that the same people who were concerned about their views who were looking out to the ocean, their backs Uh, to one of the biggest single point source emitters in Australia, the Araring Power Station, uh, which is pumping out coal emissions, coal-fired emissions that affect everyone. Um, I think some really interesting work has just been released quite recently from the University of Technology Sydney, which shows that the Atlas Group is behind uh, a lot of the lies and misinformation about The Voice, but it's also the same people who have been working for years with the fossil fuel industry to put out smoke, screens and misinformation aimed at derailing and delaying renewable energy. So I think it's really important
0: to focus on the facts. And those facts are that climate change really is the biggest threat to whales. So if we're serious about saving the whales, we need to get serious about the climate.
1: There are issues, it's not an impact-free technology and I I did send in a submission to the federal government reminding the Commonwealth that it has obligations not only to reduce our carbon footprint but to conserve threatened species and to manage them wisely and that the Blue Whale Conservation Management Plan obliges them to do that and how do they propose to do that. I, I was just highlighting the fact that there's a conundrum the commonwealth there you know they want to put these things out here in an area where blue whales have been well established for many thousands of years
2: i I like wind farms i think they look beautiful anything that's aerodynamic has something aesthetically quite beautiful about it but when i drive north from canberra up to sydney and i drive past the lake george wind farm and i see over a 100 blades all turning it gives me hope that we can actually have a safe planet when i see all that renewable energy being generated so wind farms make me feel feel good but yeah i I see the araring coal power station or when i'm up at Nora head and i walk on the beach in the morning before the winds come up and you see this blanket of yellow pollution sitting over newcastle that's causing all these diseases as well as climate change from all the coal-fired power stations in the Hunter Valley. That's ugly.
1: We're just concerned about these whales. They're still endangered under Australian law, blue whales. uh, Humpbacks aren't. They've been taken off the threatened species list because they're now so abundant. But blues and southern right whales are both species of concern and whatever we do we have to just juggle the need for whatever human activities we get up to out there with uh, you know, best practice ensuring that we don't create more threats for these endangered species.
0: And that was Dr. Pete Gill rounding out that look at Can offshore wind and whales coexist? And I do want to thank Dr. Pete from the Blue Whale Study Centre down on the southwest coast of Victoria on Gunditjmara land where there is a proposed offshore wind zone. And I also want to thank Gregory Andrews for his time, former Threatened Species Commissioner, for his great insights on the topic as well. to show the rapid growth and development in this industry just as i was producing the show chris bowen and tasmanian energy minister nick dugan announced the consultation for an offshore wind zone off the bass strait had just begun as well so um, off the coast of lutrawita or tasmania another wind zone proposed We'd love to hear from you about what you think about offshore wind and whales. Can they coexist? Were you compelled by either of our experts' opinions on that? Or do you have your own? You can join conversation on social media, on Facebook. Look for Earth Matters 3CR Radio. Or join us on Instagram, Earth underscore Matters underscore 3CR. Or you can find us on the social media platform formerly known as Twitter, X, where we are called earth m radio so join the conversation there and follow us and share us amongst your friends as well today we heard music from god You black emperor a track called storm earth matters would like to thank the community broadcasting foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network, for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country. And if you'd like to get in contact with us directly, you can send us an email to earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. I hope you can tune in next time and join me, Phil Evans, and our other wonderful hosts for more Earth Matters.